How's it going? It's good to see you. Uh, would you like that video? Yeah, yeah, we thought you would. Um, happy Valentine's Day. It's, it's, uh, my wife uh, brought, brought me some peeps. Um, and she had something, these, uh, you ever have those lint chocolates? Anybody ever have those lint chocolates? Those are like my favorite chocolates in the world. And she, had, she got me those. Uh, and she brought me these in the first service. And then these, uh, by the way, I'm not sharing. Um, thought I'd share that with you. Um, but, you know, I watched that video and I'm, I really am blown away at all that God has done in, in nine short years. Um, and you know, if I had planned my own life, um, it would have been, uh, I'd be a musician and it wouldn't be, I, I wouldn't be doing this. And I'm glad that, uh, for all of us, I'm glad that we're not the one who gets to write the story, that God is the one who, uh, you know, who knows it and is the one who leads us and directs us and guides us. And, um, but that's what I want to actually talk to you about this morning in that, uh, as long as I can remember as a kid, I wanted to be a musician. And uh, I started taking bass lessons at the age of 13, um, and I didn't own a bass. I actually rented a bass from a music store, and uh, it was like $10 a month or something. You know, this is back in like the 1800s. Um, but I rented a bass at a music store, and my bass teacher, his name was Bob Black. By the way, that is a cool name, Bob Black. And um, he, uh, he was like this really cool guy. He was in a jazz band, and anyway, he... Um, so uh, I, he asked me what my goals were as a bass player. And I said, well, I really only have one goal. And that goal is that I want to be, uh, be like Steve Harris, who is the bass player of uh, this band called Iron Maiden. And I said, that's my goal in life. I was 13 at the time. I said, that's my goal. I want to be as good as Steve Harris. And he says, well, you know, Steve is pretty good. So you're going to have to put in a lot of work. And I said, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to do it. So he would give me all the assignments. And it was, you know, learning scales and reading music and all this stuff. And so I said, uh, so I, and, but here's really what happened is I got the bass, I get home, I'd kind of blow off the music that I had to learn. And, uh, I did a lot more of like Millie Vanilli looking at myself in the mirror playing bass, you know, like rocking out to my stuff on my stereo as I was, uh, just kind of lip syncing along. Um, and so here's what happened is that months went by and I didn't get any better. And then I turned in the bass that I had rented and I moved to Miami. And, um, on my 15th birthday, um, I got a bass. Uh, both my parents had put in some money, and, and I, got, I was able to start playing. And um, I, I did pretty much the same thing, you know, looking in the mirror, you know, lip-syncing my favorite songs. And then uh, until the day I got this phone call. And uh, it was a guy, from, this guy from high school, and uh, he, he calls me, and he says, Bob. And I said, yeah. And he says, hey, do you know this guy named Ron? And I said, yeah, I know Ron. He says, well, it's his birthday coming up, and we're going to have this big party for him. And uh, we are hoping... That we're trying to put a band together to do like some live music, and we need a bass player. We have a whole band, but we need a bass player. We heard that you play bass, and I said, "Well, I do play bass." He said, "Would you like to play as a party?" And I said, "Sure." And then I said, "Oh, by the way, when is the party?" I'm thinking it's like three months from now, six months from now. He goes, "It's in two weeks," and that's like when my heart stopped, you know. And I'm like, two weeks," um, and he's like, "Yeah." And um, let me tell you the the songs that we're going to play. I'll, I'll write them down. And there's no email, none of that back then. He's like, you know, I'll write them down and get them to you via Pony Express. Um, uh, and so, so I say, okay, I hang up the phone and immediately I go into a panic that I've got to learn to play these 10 songs in the next two weeks. At that moment, everything else in my life got put on hold. I mean, schoolwork on, well, there wasn't really much schoolwork happening anyway in my life back then. So, but everything was on hold and I started playing those 10 songs and literally until my fingers started to bleed. And when they started to bleed, I put, uh, I put band-aids on them and just kept playing 
because I had to be ready. Um, and so what happened was, this is the thing that's amazing, is that um, two weeks later, we get to the party. He's totally it's a surprise party. We start playing. I know the 10 songs, and it went great. And after that moment, um, I have enough confidence to start a band. Then I, that doesn't, band doesn't really work out too well. I start another band. After I start that band, I join a band, and we put out an album. Um, and then after that, I become a Christian. I leave that band, and I uh, join this Christian band, and we sign a record deal and put out two albums, also available on iTunes. But that's not the story that, uh, that I'm telling you today. Um, and so, but here's, here's the funny part of this whole story. At 13, I tell this music teacher um, that I want to be just like, um, just like Steve Harris from... Um, from uh, from Iron Maiden. Now, here's what happens. Two years ago, I'm in Los Angeles. I'm actually in, in Orange County, uh, in California, I'm in Newport Beach, and I'm I'm there because I'm doing some teaching. Um, but we're also like kind of put, taking a couple days on the front end, the back end of that, make turn it into like a mini vacation. And so my daughter is about maybe a year old at the time. This was about two years ago. So we're walking around um, Newport Beach in this kind of this open area uh, where there's like a bunch of shops and all that. And there's this this one shop. That ha- that you walk in, I mean, the, like the whole place is pink, and uh, it's one of these places that you go into when, like, moms take their daughters there and they do like tea parties and all that. And Carrie says to me, "Hey, let's go in there." And I'm like, "How about we not go in there?" And uh, and she's like, "Come on, let's just go in." And I'm like, "All right, fine." So we walk in, um, and and uh, and we walk in, and there's this guy standing there. Or he's actually sitting on a bench, standing out like like a sore thumb. Um, and uh, in fact, let me just show you the picture uh, that that that's him. And, and so and I stop. That's Steve Harris from Iron Maiden, my childhood hero. I see him standing there. You can tell he sticks out like a sore thumb in a let's have a tea party kind of frilly, girly kind of place. He didn't really fit in. But I see him and uh, he has a, he has this tattoo on his arm. And I noticed the tat. That's the first thing I noticed. I was looking down and I see him. And I walk up to him. the moment that I see him. I turn into a 12 year old girl that just met one of the Jonas Brothers. All right. Um, because I'm like, I, 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 excuse, and I'm like a grown man, you know, and I, I, I go, totally fall apart. And I'm like, excuse me, uh, are, are you, um, are, are you, are you uh, Steve Harris? And he says, yes, yeah, they're from Britain. He's like, oh yes, mate. And I said, my, my name is, um, my name is, what is it? It starts with a B. It's Bob, Bob, that's my name. Um, and I said, I, I said, I started listening to your band, um, it, like more than 20 years ago. Uh, you know, you guys, those videos are playing on MTV and, it's not, and, and so anyway, so I ask him if I can take a picture with him and he says, yeah, but can we walk outside? Cause I don't want to be seen in this, this place. And I'm like, you and me both. So we walk outside and, uh, and we take this picture. And now here's the, here's the reason I tell you this is that, um, I tell him, I, I say, you know, you probably don't remember this. I said, but I do want to tell you a story cause that's what I do is tell stories. Um, I said, but I do want to tell you this is that, um, in 19, I said, I started playing bass. I, I became a musician because of you. Uh, I said, I saw one of your videos, and I thought, that is like the coolest thing ever. And I said, if I could do that, that, that would be the best thing in the world. And I said, so I took up the bass guitar um, because of you. And, uh, you know, so he, he's like, oh, it's very kind of you, this and that. And I said, but I, I do want to tell you another part of the story. And I said, in 1993, I said, there's this guy named Steve Altman. Are you still friends with Steve? And he says, yeah, I am. I said, well, Steve is also a friend of mine. Um, and I said, in 1993, uh, before many of you were born, um, my, my band, um, we put out an album. And, uh, and I talked to this guy, Steve Altman, and I said, would you send it to Steve Harris? 
because um, I, I don't know if he even, like, gets mail. I mean, I don't know if, like, do rock stars even get mail? Do they own phones? I don't know. So, uh, so I'm like, would you send it to him? You know, and I'm like, this guy sold, like, 90 million albums worldwide. And I'm like, he's never going to listen to it, but maybe he'll, you know, maybe he'll get it by, per chance. So the guy says, yeah, this, our mutual friend Steve says, yeah, I'll send it to him. So he sends him our band's uh, album. And, uh, you know, a couple of months go by, and then I get a call from Steve Altman, this guy that we're mutual friends with, with Steve Harris. I know it's difficult because he's both named Steve. And uh, so he says, hey, listen, I talked to Steve Harris just this week, and um, he wanted me to tell you that he listened to your, your album. And uh, he says, hey, can you tell your friends that they put out a great record? And, uh, and so I tell him that story, and I said, I know. I said I'm not even going to ask if you remember that. Um, because that was a long time ago, and I'm guessing that a bunch of weird guys have given you CDs over the last, you know, 20 years. Um, I said, but I just want you to know um, from, from me that um, in, in 1993, I was, I was 19 years old, um, and for the, the last, I said, for those five years before that, I had spent my whole life, um, uh, that, that whole time being a musician because I wanted to be as good as you. And I said, and I just want you to know when you sent back that compliment that we put out, a great record to this day that's still one of those most meaningful compliments that anyone has ever given me in my life. And I said, and I don't know if that means anything to you. I said, but it means the world for me to be able to tell you that. And uh, anyway, we spent like the next 10 minutes talking and all that. And it was this, it was this great, great thing. And then I called everybody I knew uh, to tell them that. Um, and it's like you say, uh, now mind you, this happened with you. I've been dying to tell you this for two years. Uh, I've just been waiting for like the right message that it kind of makes the point. I still have this. I have this picture like in my office in a prominent spot so that people will ask. So any of you who've been in my office, I've told you this one at a time. But now I can tell you all of this because, you know, it's like this thing that I get so excited about. Um, but here, here's the reason I do tell you this story it is because um, I experienced the rewards of, of putting in uh, the the... the the rewards of being a musician after I had put in the work. You see, what happened at 13 was that I wanted to be, I wanted the accolades and I wanted this guy that I, that I had, you know, admired, you know, for years and, and wanted to be like as a musician. I had asked him, you know, I, I, or I should say I wanted him, to, I wanted to get the accolades, but listen, I never would have gotten them until I put in the work. And that's the way it works in all of life. It's the way it works in all of life. Is that whatever it is that we want to see happen, if we want something great to happen, listen, it's going to take some work. And then once we put in the work, that's when we begin to see the rewards of it. If you want a great marriage, let me just tell you the, the thing, and we're gonna, next week we'll spend a few weeks talking about it, but it's going to take some work if you want to see that. It's going to take some obedience to God, and then we begin to see the rewards of that. You want to have a great career, it's probably going to take some schooling and some dedication to that, some obedience to some class schedules and, and doing what you have to do in the entry-level years to the, then be able to experience the rewards of that. Same thing if you want great kids, if you want to reach your goals, if you want to reach your dreams, all of that is possible, but it's going to take obedience in one area to then experience the rewards in another. But see, we never get there without uh, obedience. Those of us that, if you're watching the Olympics... You know, no, there's no, I can promise you there's nobody there that woke up three months ago and like, what do I want to do in, in February? Oh, I know. I should be in the Olympics. You know, what, what are you going to do? I don't know. I'll just figure something out. Something in the snow, right? Maybe I'll do the luge. That's quick. You know, all you got to do is just, just send you down the chute. That can't be that hard. You know, do some, you know, no, that's not what happens. Instead, it takes obedience to a trainer, obedience to the, the, the regulations, and then 
And then what happens? And then that's what brings about blessing. And listen, no more is that, is that true in any in, in area of life when, than when it comes to our relationship with God. When it comes to our relationship with God, it's obedience to God. And you want to write this down. It's obedience to God that brings about the blessing of God. I want you to think about that. It's obedience to God that brings about the blessing of God. Um, if, in your notes, and I hope you have the notes that we gave you. I hope you have the pen out and you've got your Bible with you. But here's what we're going to, here's what we're going to see. This is what the, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 11. It says, you will be blessed if. You obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. It says you will be, not just you will be blessed, but you will be blessed if you, you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. And that's what we're going to see in the story that we're going to, that we're going to read. Now, I do need to tell you this. If you're here and you're here for the very first time, hey, we're glad you're here. You picked a great Sunday to be here, but, and there is a but here, um, and that is you, you're kind of walking in on the last 20 minutes of the movie. Uh, because we've been kind of working our way over the last month, five weeks or so, in the book of Esther. And now we're kind of like getting to the very end of the story. And so you're going to walk in and be like, how did all this happen? And it's like, um, it, I can't recap the last month for you, but I'll do the very best that I can um, as, as we go through. Now, here's what you got to know. Uh, for those of you that have been here, uh, and that is this. There's a guy named Haman, right? Haman is the villain of the story. He is known as Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And so that kind of gives you an idea that, uh, that he's not the good guy in the story. But he's the enemy of the Jews, and he has this plot to destroy all of the Jewish people that are living in the Persian Empire. And what he does is, but this plot has been uncovered. And Haman has actually been executed uh, because he's been exposed for this. But there's still one problem. The problem is, is that everyone in the kingdom still thinks that on this particular day, there's a law that was written into existence that anyone can kill their Jewish neighbor and take all of their stuff. That's what was written into law. And so now what we're going to see is we're going to see how the obedience of the characters that we've been following, Queen Esther and Mordecai, we're going to see how their, their obedience to God is going to lead to blessing for them and to all the Jewish people. And what we're going to find along the way is that the very thing that they do to receive blessing is the very thing that we can do to receive the blessing of God. Because, listen, it's when I am obedient to God that I experience the blessing of God. So we're going to start in chapter 8 of Esther in verse 1. We turn there. Here's what we have. It says, Now on that day, King Ahasuerus gave Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, and Esther had told how he was related to her. So the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed Mordecai over the house of Haman. Now Esther spoke again to the king, fell down at his feet, and implored him with tears to counteract the evil of Haman, the Agagite. You want to write, underline that, Agagite, underline that, because we're going to get to that in a few minutes. Um, and the scheme which he had devised against the Jews. And the king held out the, the golden scepter toward Esther, and Esther arose and stood before the king and said, If it pleases the king, if I found favor in his sight, and if the thing seems right to the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, then let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, underline that, we're going to talk about that in a minute, uh, which he wrote to annihilate the Jews who were in all of the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the evil that will come to my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my countrymen? 
And King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and Mordecai, the Jew, Indeed, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows because he tried to lay a hand on the Jews. Now, you write yourselves, you yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews as you please in the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring. For whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. And so the king's scribes were called at that time in the third month, which is called the month of Sivan, on the 23rd day. And it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded uh, up to the Jews, the satraps, the governors, the princes and the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces in all to every province in its own script, to every people in their own language and to the Jews in their own script and their own language. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things that I want to tell you about what obedience does in our lives that we're going to see in the verses that that we read in in our study. But here's the first one. If you're taking note, the first is, is that obedience gives you more than you desired. It gives you more than you desired. You see, Esther asks for help against the enemy of the Jews. and, And here's what happens. Not only does he get the help, but the king gives her the help and everything that once belonged to Haman. So it's like Haman is the bad guy. And so Haman gets wiped out. And then the king says, this is how about this? I'm going to give you everything that Haman had. And if you've been following this, you remember, this is all like kind of this role reversal that keeps happening is that every time Haman tries to do something against the Jews, it just it reverses. And uh, it's like blessing for them and a bummer for him. And now the very thing that he wanted to see happen, which was we destroy the Jews and take all their stuff. Guess what happens? He's the one who gets wiped out and all of their stuff gets all of his stuff gets given to them now here's one of the things and this is not in your notes but let me just have you write it down this is the book of galatians chapter six um it says this it says do not be deceived god is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap if he reaps to the flesh he will reap corruption if he reaps to the spirit he'll reap everlasting life I want you to understand, there's this biblical principle that you reap what you sow. And it's not just a biblical principle, it's a principle of nature. Uh, those of you that maybe do some planting in your backyards or uh, around in your house or whatever, you know, nobody plants, like, puts the seeds to grow tomatoes and, like, avocados come out, right? Nobody puts, you know, oh, I'm planting a, 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 I want to get, I want avocados and, like, platanos show up. You know, nobody has that happen. No, no, instead, you plant, you put the seed down, and that's what you get. Uh, so if you plant corn, you sow corn, you reap corn. That's just the way that it goes. Uh, same thing happens, you know, emotionally in our lives. You know, if you sow love, guess what you're going to reap? You're going to reap love in return. If you sow obedience, you reap blessing. Uh, and that's what we would call qualitative, right? It's, it's qualitative. But here's the other thing that we have to understand. There's also something that's quantitative that I want to share with you. That's just, you know, what if a man sows to the flesh, he reaps corruption. Sows to the spirit, he reaps everlasting life that's qualitative but let me tell you what quantitative is quantitative is not just that we reap what we sow but we always reap more than we sow we always reap more than we sow you see isn't it interesting that you you might put down you know 10 or 12 seeds for tomatoes but how many do you get 10 or 12 tomatoes back no you always get 
way more tomatoes back, right? You may get over the course of years hundreds, thousands of tomatoes possibly, and it's never in proportion to the number of seeds that you sow. It's always disproportionate. Why? Because you always reap more than you sow. When the people of Israel were disobeying God in the book of Hosea, this is what he said. It's in your notes. He says, they have sown to the wind. And say they reap the wind. Here's what it says. They have sown to the wind and now they reap what? The whirlwind. Because that's what happens. We always reap more than we sow. Another passage in Hosea says this. He says, sow for yourselves righteousness and reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unfallowed ground. For it is the time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. You see, I had a guy in the church last week comes up to me. And uh, he says this, he says, you know, pastor, you're always telling these stories about like people who are blessed. And I got to tell you the story of, of what happened to me. This is a few months ago, but I want to tell you what happened to me when I first started coming here. And I said, what, what happened? And he says this, he says, um, I started coming to the church and he says, I wasn't even a Christian yet. But I, I came to the church and I was really moved by the message. And then at the end of the service, when you guys like receive the offering, um, I just felt like I was supposed to give something. So I reached in my pocket and all I had was five bucks. And so I just gave the five bucks. And um, and, and that was that, you know, and I, and so I, I gave it. Now, the signif- what makes uh, the five bucks significance is not that it's a five bucks, but it was his last five dollars. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. He goes to a friend's house um, who was who was a Christian. And uh, he tells him that he went to the, that he came to our church and that he was really moved by it. And, um, you know, and, and that. They were ordering food, and, and uh, he's, the guy's like, yeah, I can't, I can't eat. I, I gave my last five bucks at church. He's like, oh, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. And, um, and do you just watch what God does in your life? Well, what happens is, is that later that evening, um, he, he, he parks his car in this, uh, in, in this parking lot, and he's walking. And then as, as he's walking, uh, he looks down, and he finds $189 um, just laying on the ground. So he's telling me this story, and I'm like, okay, first question, where's this parking lot? Because um, I'd like to swing by there myself uh, this afternoon. And, um, and he says, you know, he says, Pastor, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing what happened. And he said, so, and, and so we were, we were, he's telling me the story. And he's like, you know, he says, now I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm following Jesus. And now I'm not just giving five bucks. I'm tithing, and I'm giving what I'm supposed to. And I'm experiencing the blessing of God. In my life. And so we were talking about this and I said, you know, here's what it is. It's because you always reap more than you sow. It's just this. It's this principle. Not only is it qualitative, it's also quantitative that we just reap more than than we sow. Um, In the book of Second Corinthians, chapter nine, Paul would say it this way. He would say, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. But each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You see, isn't that amazing? That it's not something that's done by force. It's not something that's done because you feel like you've got to. But here's what God does. Here's what God, God loves, someone who gives cheerfully, not someone who says, I've got to, but someone who says, I get to and that's when we i think we've come to the understanding we we've we've turned a corner in our lives not when we say man i've got to give but when we turn a corner and we say i've been so blessed by god that now i have i get to give now listen i I want to talk to those of us who are christians those of us who are following jesus if you're um if, if you're a guest you know listen in because 
you're going to hear about like some of the stuff that Christians talk about. But I, I, those of us who are Christians, can I challenge you in this? If we're going to talk about, you know, obedience and, and the rewards of obedience today, let's talk about this for a minute. Um, are, are you are you obeying God by giving the tithe? I mean, are, are, are you obeying him? Because God calls believers to give that first portion, that first 10 percent of our income to him. And that then here's what we experience. We experience the 90 percent go farther than the 100 percent possibly could. And the promise is that not just you reap what you sow, but that you reap more than you sow. I've experienced that in my life and countless people in this room have experienced that in, in their lives. And that's the promise that God gives to us. I'm going to give you one passage out of the book of Malachi. You'll see it in your notes. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. You may want to underline that. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. You see, here's the challenge that God gives. The challenge that God gives, and here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, doesn't the Bible say not to test God? And you're absolutely right, except for this one area, when it comes to giving. And he says, why don't you test me and see if when you give, if I don't open up the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that you're not able to contain it. You see, that's part of this this whole thing of God making 90% go a lot further than the 100% could go without his blessing. Because I'd much rather have 90% that's blessed by him than 100% that's not blessed by him. And so here's the thing. And this is what I want to challenge each of us to do. And um, I, want you to, I want to challenge you to test God in this area. If maybe you're here and you haven't uh, been, been giving and you haven't been tithing. That this passage tells us that, listen, to test him and to see what it is that, that God does. And that if, he, if, if, if we do honor him in this, that he will open up the windows of heaven. Now, here's where the rubber meets the road. It's one thing... Um, to hear this, it's another thing to believe this, and it's another thing entirely to do this. And, and I'm telling you, and I've taught this many times, and if you've been here for any length of time, you know occasionally we'll talk about this. Um, but, but here's the thing, is that this is not something that anybody else can do for you. But this is something that you've got to do and take that step for yourself and decide, am I going to obey God that I might experience the blessing of God? So where the rubber meets the road is where you say, I'm going to test God in this and see if he doesn't open up the windows of heaven. So I want you to take out your connection card for a second. I want to do something that we can partner together in this. On the back of your connection card, you'll see about the fourth one down, it says, take the 90-day tithe challenge. And this is one of the things that, that we've done now over the last several years, where here's what we do. We just partner together. And we say, if you're going to take this step, then we want to partner with you in taking that step. And here's how we partner together. If you say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to take uh, the 90-day tithe challenge, then here's what, what we can see happen. What, what you're, you're saying is, I'm going to do this. What we're saying is this, is that if you decide and you check that off and you fill out all your information on the front, um, I'm going to send you a book. I mean, I'm a big reader, but there's this little book. Um, it's like maybe 100 pages um, that, that I read years ago that so moved me and I totally crystallized this idea of giving and what is it that's happening uh, when we give. Um, and so I want to uh, I make that my gift to you, and that's just our way of partnering with you. Now, here's the other thing that you're promising to do, and this is the thing that's, to me, that's most important. Is that not only are you saying that you're going to give for the 90 days and give the tithe, and we're going to send you the book, but here's what I'm asking you to do, is I want you to email me the stories. 
when God begins to do something amazing in your life. Notice I did not say if God does something amazing in your life. I said when God does something amazing in your life because that's just how it works. And I'm telling you that I, in, in my office I have, this, I have this file and I have a file in my, email, uh, in my email program that just has story after story after story after story after story of people who took the challenge, who took the step and said, God is doing something unreal in my life that I never dreamed possible. Why? Simply because they decided to be obedient. Because when I decide to obey God, then I experience the blessing of God. So you check that off, and we want to we want to partner with you because the thing this is what I know to be true. This is what countless people um, here in this auditorium know to be true: is that you don't reap what you sow; you always reap more uh, than you sow. And that's true in giving. That's true in every other area of your life. If you decide that you're going to serve someone, or maybe you serve here or you serve somewhere else, and you say, "Man, I just want to help somebody out. I want to be a blessing to them." Can I tell you this? And I know this to be the case personally, and this is just what it is. I decide to be a blessing to someone else, and guess what happens? I walk away even more blessed. Well, how does that work? Well, the way it works is because we just not only reap what we sow, but we reap more than we sow. When we decide to love someone who maybe doesn't deserve it, guess what happens? What returns? Love in even greater degree because it's just how it works. So obedience gives you more than you deserve. This is another thing I want to talk to you about in in the story i'm going to have you skip ahead to chapter 9 verse 1 and uh check out what happens this is now we're going to get to the day where everybody thinks that they're going to wipe out the jewish people check out chapter 9 verse 1 now in the 12th month that is the month of adar on the 13th day there came or the time came for the king's command and decree to be executed on the day that the enemies of the jews had hoped to overpower them the opposite occurred And the Jews themselves overpowered those who hated them. And the Jews gathered together in their cities throughout all the province of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought them harm. And no one could withstand them because the fear of them fell upon all people. And all the officials in the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and all those doing the king's work helped the Jews because the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. For Mordecai was great in the king's palace, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces. For this man, Mordecai, became increasingly prominent. Thus, the Jews defeated all of their enemies with the stroke of the sword, with slaughter and destruction, and did what they pleased with those who hated them. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, I want to tell you the second thing that happens when we obey God, and that is that obedience gives you victory in your life. It gives you victory in your life. They decided to obey God. And here's what happens is that then the day came and when many thought they'd be destroyed, they got victory. Now, let me kind of let me explain it to you this way. Uh, Let me show you this picture. This is a much cuter picture than the first one I showed you. Um, This is my three year old daughter, Mia. Now, my daughter, Mia, this is her on her bike. My daughter loves that little bike that she has. This little pink bike, tricycle and um, it has like a little trunk in the back. And she loves that bike. That's, this is us outside. This is actually a picture from us yesterday. Um, but there, not only is it outside, but even at the end of the day when she's done riding her bike, she has to take her bike inside. So now it's like we've got to clean the wheels and then bring the bike back inside. And then because not only because everywhere she goes is on the bike. So, um, so what will happen is this, is that like the other day I'm holding my son 
and um, he, he kind of spits up a little bit. And so I say to Mia, I say, Mia, can you go into Xander's room and get me a burp cloth? She says, yes, Poppy. She climbs on her bike and she drives. Now, mind you, you think, you know, like this is like 20 feet. So she drives the 20 feet. She gets off of her bike. Then she goes into his room. She gets the burp cloth. Then she comes back to the bike. She opens up the little trunk. She puts the burp cloth in. And mind you, like 45 minutes have gone by as this whole thing, right? And so then, and I'm like, you know, Mia, please, before the kid turns two. And so then she puts it in the trunk. She drives the bike to the living room. She opens up her trunk. She brings it. Papi, I bring you this cloth. Thank you. Thank you. It's time to celebrate Sandra's birthday now. Um, and so then, uh, so I, I do that now. So, but here's what happens. that We're watching a movie the other day, and Mia sees this girl riding a bike, but the bike has a little basket on the front. Well, when she sees the basket, she thinks, she says to her mom, she says, Mommy, I need a basket for the front of my bike because then I can put things in there. Now, mind you, she's always putting things in the bike. The other day, I thought I had lost my phone. I'm looking in the car. I'm ready to drive back to my office to get my, to find my phone. Turns out it's in the trunk of her bike. She's like, Papi, I have this for you. And I'm like, yes, yeah, don't ever touch that again. Uh, thank you, though. Um, and so there's, so she decides that she needs a basket for her bike. And so her mom um, and her made this deal. And the deal was this, was that it, my daughter, she just turned three, so she's just starting to read. So she's got about 40 words, like 40 plus words that she knows, that she sees them, and she can read them. But there's this, uh, this program that we're doing with her, and uh, it's about 80 words. So she's, you know, she's well on her way. So it's about 70, 80 words. And the deal we made was this. If you learn all your words, you can have the basket for your bike. Now, this is a princess basket. I mean, this is like the real deal. I mean, this, is not, this isn't like a regular basket. This has all the Disney princesses, you know, so this is like a big, big thing. And so what happens is, is that we actually got the basket. And the basket is on top of our fridge. So every time she goes into the kitchen, she sees the goal. She sees the basket. And it's like, it's, it's as much as she can do to contain herself. Every time she sees the basket, it's like, this is the most amazing thing ever. And so every time she sees the basket, she's like, Mommy, school time. And so every time, you know, it's like we're having to, like, restrain her from doing school time because all, that's all she wants to do. Because now that she sees what victory looks like, she doesn't want to stop. And, and, and because, you know, because she knows the sooner that I learn my words, the sooner that I can get my basket and everything changes once you get the basket. And so, and that's the thing. And listen, can I, can I just tell you this in, in the same way? Is that, you know, the, the, uh, too many times, here's what happens, is that we're asking God for stuff. You know, we're praying, God, please, can you just do this in my life? I want to see this happen. And here's what God is saying. Listen, if you will obey me, this is very, very possible. God, I just want to have this happen. I want victory in my life. Listen, this is very possible, but you've got to obey me. You see, too many times, here's what happens if we can be real honest. We build our lives on disobedience to God and then ask him to bless that. And God is saying, listen, I can't bless disobedience, but here's what I can do. If you'll decide to obey me, I can bless obedience because the blessing the obedience to God brings the blessing of God. It's just the way that it is. But listen, if we're not obeying God, we're just not going to see the, the blessing of God. We're not going to see the victory in our lives. If we just say, well, I've got my career and I, and I know where I want to get to in, 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 in my career. But here's what I ha- here's the challenge. If I want victory, the goal, do I have to go outside of obeying God? Maybe I need to disobey God to actually get there. 
And here's what will happen. And this will be the challenge. And, and listen, my daughter is three and she's learning this. And now, I mean, you can be 33 or 63 or 93 and you never get over this learning this lesson. And, and the lesson is this. Will I go outside of the bounds of what God wants me to do to get what it is that I want? And then hopefully once I get there, that God will bless it because it doesn't really matter how I got there. It matters completely and totally how you get there. Because it's not just the end result that God blesses, it's us along the way as we're obeying Him that lead to us being able to achieve and attain that goal. So if you have a goal in in your career, you say, well, I can kind of do this and be a little shady and then I can still get my goal. Um, Maybe you can attain something that looks like it. But it'll never be what it looks like um, if you had just listened to, followed and obeyed God. Because one invites the blessing of God and the other does not. Same thing happens in relationships. Well, I just want to be married, right? That's a goal that people have. I just want to be married. Well, there's, there's just being married. That's easy. That's the easy part. That involves a courthouse and like 60 bucks, you know, and like someone who's semi-willing, all right? Um, but if you say, I don't want to be married, I want to be happily married, well, now you've just entered another stratosphere because one involves the blessing of God and the other involves just, you know, somebody who has a pulse and has 60 bucks, um, you know, and so, you see, so you see what I'm saying, and that, and that's that's the whole thing is that if we're really going to get where it is that we want to go, and we want to have these victories in our life, it takes obedience to God that brings the blessing of God in our life, so that we get not just a semblance of what we wanted, but the thing that we really want that God wanted to give us all along. Jesus knew this, obviously, but Jesus, you know. It, It's not just knowing what God wants or knowing what God says. That's enough. Jesus would say it this way. After he gives the most spellbinding sermon in history, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what he says. This is what he says when he gets to the end in Matthew chapter 7. He says, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who builds his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Can I just have you note something, please? Here's what I want you to know. Whether you build your house on a rock or you build your house on a sand, um, everybody has rain, everybody has the waters rise, and everybody has the wind that comes and beats on their house. It's not like you become a Christian and then everything is perfect. And sometimes we think that I became a Christian and that means that I will never run out of milk in the morning again. Glory to God. You know, that's not not the way that it works. And sometimes stuff even worse happens. But when you become a Christian, here's the thing that you have, is that even when the rain comes, even when the the waters rise, even when the wind starts beating on your house, the, the difference is this. When those things happen in your life, the person who hears the word and doesn't obey, that guy's house falls, crashes, and burns. The other person who hears the word and does them, Man, the wind can beat against your house. The waters can rise against your house. And, and uh, the, the wind can try to knock, knock the house over, but it won't fall down. Because it's founded on something greater than the house itself. It's, ground, it's founded on 
the rock. And the same thing is true for you and me. It's not just hearing it. It's not even just knowing it. It's not even just memorizing it. It's knowing it and doing it. These Jews, they had victory. When the enemy came to destroy them, guess what happens? The enemy comes and then they now enjoy the victory. Why? Because there was this law. Remember when the king said, here's what I want you to do. You can just write the law into existence. Because remember, obedience gives you more than you desired. He, Esther comes to the king and says, can you write a new law that says that, you know, we, you can just abolish this law that, that Haman set up. And he says, no, here's what I can do. Here's my signet ring, which represented authority. And I'm going to give you my name, which represents um, all of his power. And he says, I'm going to let you write the law that you want. Now, you've got to understand. Now, here's the thing. This is, I'll tell you this real quick. Um, why doesn't the king just, like, revoke the law that Haman wrote? Because the king gave Haman his signet ring and said, told to Haman, well, he says, you know, we've got to wipe out these Jewish people because then we'll be able to get all their stuff and that will increase the treasury. And these people are troublesome anyway. Uh, and so he says, well, all right, let's do it. And then what happens? Well, what takes place is, is that now that's written into law. Now, you have to understand something about the uh, kind of the, you know, the, the geopolitical structure of the Persian Empire. And I know what you're thinking. You're, you're thinking you woke up this morning, you showered, you got dressed, and you're saying, I really hope Pastor Bob talks about the geopolitical structure of the Persian Empire in 580 B.C. I just hope that that's what he talks about. Well, wish granted. Um, and no, but here's the thing. I, I do need to tell you this because it's kind of what makes the story make sense. Um, and that is one of the things that the king in, in the Persian Empire had the power to do anything. Except one thing. When a law was put into practice, when it was sealed, the only thing he could not do was repeal a law. And that was what it was. It was built in to give kings pause before they just wrote some law into existence. Instead, it was, do you understand what it is that you're doing? Because once we set this into law, it cannot be revoked. And so it was built to kind of give the king pause to say, well, do I want this uh, to happen or not? Those of you that remember uh, that have read the book of Daniel, you remember the story of Daniel in the lion's den, uh, or maybe you've you know, heard the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Well, the whole idea behind that was that uh, the, the counselors of the king had told the king, whose name was Darius at the, at the time in the book of Daniel, they said to Darius, they said, you know, king, you're awesome. I mean, we're just so lucky to have a king like you. What we should do is not let anyone pray to any other God except for you for 30 days. That's what we should do. We should just, nobody pray, because you're just so awesome. And the kings, because kings are really known for their humility, he says, you know, that really is true. I really am awesome. And why don't we set that up that no one prays except to me? Well, they knew because they hated Daniel that Daniel would pray to his God, the God of Israel. And so then, listen to what they say. I wrote this down. This is in Daniel chapter 6, verse 8. It says, uh, now, O king, issue a decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. The law could not be repealed. And so now Esther is asking him, can you please repeal this law? And he's saying, I can't do that. But here's what I can let you do. I can let you write another law. And the law was that they wrote into, into and this is what happens at the end of chapter 8, the end of chapter 8, they write into, into law that the Jews can defend themselves uh, if anyone comes to attack them. And so then what we read about, and this is the passage that we just read, is that they're victorious. 
Why? Because they started they decided to do it God's way. And the same thing that happens in, in your life and in mine, that obedience comes through obe- that victory comes through obedience to God's word. Jesus would say it like this. He would say that obedient uh, that um, blessed are those who hear the word and obey it. Now, I want to tell you something real quick, um, because I've had you underline uh, Haman, the Agagite. Right. This is important because sometimes here's what we can think. Sometimes we can we can think like this is that, well, maybe I won't do it God's way, but then I can just pray and ask him to forgive me. And then that'll be that'll be okay. Well, the good thing, good news is, is that if we do pray sincerely and ask God to forgive us, he will forgive us. But it doesn't mean that we get get out of the consequences for our actions. Uh, In the book of first Samuel, chapter 15, I won't have you turn there. Just write it down. I'm going to tell you this story in 30 seconds. Um, What happens is, is that there's a king by the name of Saul. Well, uh, there's a, the prophet Samuel comes to Saul, who's the king, and says, this is what the Lord commands. I want you to go and wipe out the Amalekites. And not just wipe them out. I need you to wipe them out. Wipe everything out. Even their herds, their flocks. Wipe everything and everyone out. Now, people hear that and they say, isn't that a bit extreme? Is God being a little too harsh here? Now, you've got to know this, and you can look it up later if you want. But the Amalekites were involved in like some of the most heinous practices that any ancient culture was involved in and so god gives this group of people 200 years to change their ways and repent and they decide not to and not only are they hurting themselves but they're hurting the cultures and the people groups around them and they are now parked right next to israel uh in this 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 nation that god is establishing and i mean what you got to understand is this is the equivalent of um you know, when God tells you, you've got to wipe these guys out, it's the equivalent of there being like this rabid dog foaming at the mouth, running toward, uh, you know, a playground that's full of kids. It's like you can say, well, you know, doggy, can you come over here? Well, you could do that or you could do what you've got to do. And that is you pull out a gun and you put the dog down for the sake of saving these kids who would be hurt because of this dog. Well, this is the very same thing that's happening with the Amalekites. But here's the thing that happens is that now... Uh, Saul goes and he attacks the Amalekites. But here's what he does. He doesn't wipe everybody out. In fact, not only does he wipe, not, not wipe everybody out, he doesn't wipe, every, wipe out everything. And um, he keeps all of the best sheep for himself, all, of the, all the herds. Because remember, your herd in that culture, in, the, in that kind of culture, the size of your herd meant the size of your bank account. So he has this big herd, and he's like, I got all this stuff. And then he keeps, in fact, he even keeps the king of the Amalekites. He lets him live. Like, you would think that if God says to wipe everybody out, that you'd at least wipe the king out. who's like representative of everybody. Well, he's like, hey, I'm a king. You're a king. We kind of like, you know, everywhere a king, king. We can kind of, you know, we're friends, right? Um, so this is kind of the thing that happens. Well, then Samuel shows up after the whole thing, and he says, and then Saul says, look at everything I've done for the Lord. And he says, then why have you disobeyed him? And he says, well, what do you mean? And he says, if you've obeyed the Lord, he says, I've done everything God has told me to do. He says, then why do I hear the bleeding of sheep in my ears? Oh, well, that's not my fault, Samuel. The people, they wanted, the people wanted this and, and all that. But here's what we'll do. We'll make a sacrifice for the Lord with the animals. And then this is, um, this is 1 Samuel 15, verse 22, a verse you may want to write down, where Samuel says this. He says, for obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. 
Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention the name of the king. His name was Agag. And interestingly enough, the Amalekites that he didn't wipe out, if you read, uh, if you continue reading the story, it's the Amalekite, it's an Amalekite that ends up killing Saul at the end of his life. And see, King Agag, he has a son, and his son has a son, and his son has a son, and then they have a son, and they decide, oh, you know what we should name this one? Let's name him Haman. That's why he's Haman the Agagite. And that's why sometimes when God tells us to do something, it's like, oh, well, I don't want to do that, or I think there's a better way. Sometimes we just don't have the perspective that God has. He's like, you don't understand. There's somebody here, this group of people, that are just going to try to destroy you. And this is why this, this needs to take place. Well, here's what happens. I'm, I'm, I'm running out of time. So let me give you just the last few verses. Um, this is in chapter 9. Um, and it says, this is verse 18 of chapter 9. It says, but the Jews who were at Shushan assembled together on the 13th day as well as the 14th. And on the 15th of the month they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. And therefore the Jews of the villages that were dwelt unwalled, they celebrated on the 14th day of the month of Adar with gladness and feasting as a holiday and sent presents to one another. And Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters to all the Jews near and far who were in the provinces of King Ahasuerus to establish among them that they should celebrate yearly on the 14th and 15th day of the month of Adar as the days in which the Jews had rest from their enemies on the month in which they turned from sorrow to joy, from mourning to a holiday, and that they should make them days of feasting and joy and send gifts to one another. And gifts to the poor. And so the Jews accepted this custom as it began, as Mordecai had written, because Haman, the, Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to annihilate them and had cast pur, that is, a lot, to consume them and destroy them. But when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letter that this wicked plot that Haman had devised against them that should return on his own head and that he should... He and his sons be hanged on the gallows. And so they called these days Purim, after the name Pur. Therefore, they, because of these words and the words of this letter, they had concerning this matter and had happened to them that the Jews established and opposed upon themselves and their descendants that they should join them, that without fail they should celebrate these two days every year according to uh, the written instructions that were in the prescribed time. If you pause there and give me your attention, let me give you... Uh, this this last thing, and that is that obedience gives you a good reputation. It gives you a good reputation. What we see is is that Mordecai now raises to this place of of honor, and he institutes. He's in this place of such honor that he institutes a holiday. I don't know like where you are in life, but I I, I don't have the like ability to institute a holiday. But this guy is at this, play, this social ladder that he now creates his own holiday, this, this holiday called Purim. And to this day in Israel, it's still celebrated among the Jewish people. This day of Purim, it's like their version of Halloween. And um, in fact, I was in Party City a couple of weeks ago for my, uh, getting stuff for my daughter's birthday. And they had this whole end cap that was just stuff for Purim. So it was like, and uh, you know, kids dress up and you just dress up as the characters. Uh, in the story, so some dress up as like King Ahasuerus, some as Queen Esther, some as Mordecai, and then um, you know a couple dress up as Haman. Um, 
and that, that, those are the same kids that dress up as Darth Vader at, at Halloween. Uh, they just want to be the villain. Um, and, uh, you know, it's where they celebrate God's provision and, and all of that. And, you know, the funny thing is, in, in Jewish circles, in, in synagogues, is that whenever they hear the name Haman, um, immediately they go, boo! Like, that's what his name is associated with. Like, whatever, you know, you know, whatever the name is, oh, you know, and so remember the name, remember Haman, boo! Like, everybody just, that's, immediately they just boo him. And the thing that Haman wanted all along was to be respected and to have this reputation and to have authority and that very thing. And now he's a name that's associated with the other team. He's associated with, not with the team that we root for, but the team that we boo. And, uh, and what happens at the end, what happens with Mordecai? Well, let me read you the last two verses of, uh, and this is chapter 10, verse 2 of, uh, of Esther. It says, Now all the acts of his power, that is the king, and his might, and the account of the greatness of Mordecai, to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of Media in Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second to Ahasuerus and was great among the Jews and was well received by the multitude of his brethren, seeking the good of his people and speaking peace to all his countrymen. You see, Mordecai goes from just this nobody to second in command in the kingdom of Persia. And it's a testament to this fact that obedience brings the blessing of God. I I went to a concert uh, a few months ago and the guy holding the door at the concert was named Mordecai. And we spent t- five minutes talking about the book of Esther. And he's like, you know, I didn't know work in this concert that I was going to end up talking about where my name comes from. And I'm like, well, you never know who you're going to meet. And uh, so we have this whole thing. And now, like, think about this. Like, nobody names their kids Haman. Go anywhere you want. You're going to find people in a Jewish community, people named Mordecai. But nobody names their kids Haman. Nobody names their kids Judas. Nobody names their kids Lucifer, right? These are all names. Nobody's naming their kids this, Right. Why? Because the, now you hear Haman, people start booing. And, and, and yet what happens is this. Because it's obedience to God that now gives you this reputation and character. In fact, it's, that matters more than just about anything else. The last verse in your outline in Proverbs 22.1, it says, A good name is more desirable than riches, and to be esteemed is better than silver or gold. But here's the catch. The catch is, is that what it takes to have a good name is obedience to God. The catch is this, is that if you really want to be someone who is esteemed, you can't look for the esteem from people. You've got to decide and to look for esteem from the applause of people. You have to look for the applause of God, and, you, and you've heard me say this before, but you have to decide to live for an audience of one. And when you decide to live for an audience of one where you say, it doesn't really matter what everybody else thinks. People think I'm nuts. It doesn't matter. But here's the thing that's important. The thing that's important is that that I live for this audience of one because I know that obedience to God brings the blessing of God. And if Esther, if this book of Esther that we've been studying has taught us nothing else, it's that even when it's, we think it's impossible for things to turn around, that obedience to God always brings about the blessing of God. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for that promise. We thank you for your work in our lives. And we pray that you would bring about your blessing in our lives as as we seek to follow you as closely as we can and obey you in the things that you've commanded us to do. God, for no other reason than because you love us. In Jesus' name. Amen.